We're back to the Neil Haley Show, and I'm excited to welcome the program on a gas tire. And also, ex Mayo of American Auto, NBC's American Auto. Guys, thanks for stopping by. Really quickly, so people need to definitely tune in. Season finale is coming soon. Next two episodes coming up. Anna, why should we tune in? Oh, we should tune in because it's uh, it's the best workplace comedy in American network television. Mm-hmm. Duh. Duh. <laughs> <laughs> it is a great half-hour workplace comedy. And the finale, of course, is the culmination of the 13 episodes this season, starting with this biblical dumpster fire of a premiere ending with um, this. There was an edict laid out about whether or not we could get our stock price high enough so that the, all of us don't end up without a job. And I, I'll let you see how it plays out, but it's full of comedy hijinks. It's a great ensemble. It's full of uh, hilarious, socially relevant, um, topical comedy, hard hitting jokes, and a lot of heart. Yes, sir. Absolutely. And so x what do we should you expect from your character next two episodes? More comedy, more fun. What do you expect? Yes. Well, uh, well, one more episode. We yeah, have one we more have episode. Finale on Tuesday at 830. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, what can you expect for Dory for this final episode is for her scrambling, rambling, nervous and trembling about are we going to make the stock price? You can also see her uh, and Catherine have a little heart to heart. Um, and Cyrus will be um, an onlooker giving his shady side eyes as sure, he does. Sure. And you will you will be able to see that there is a point where Dory locks in and she finally trust Catherine yeah and and Catherine trusts her and I think oh yeah that's realistic in life but in workplace comedies we are human beings reflecting the real world and trust is earned it's not given yeah so I think you can see that and you also can see Dory rocking my favorite hairstyle and that's it's my favorite one there have been a lot of hairstyles yeah yeah, yeah. fantastic yeah thank you you guys look like you really yeah. work well together do, do you play off yeah each other? I do we do. It's been a total privilege. I mean, this show is full that, you know, it's always it's always a crapshoot whether or not you're going to get along with your ensemble. Mm-hmm. This is seven really smart, funny actors um, and grateful. grateful. I think that like, we, yeah, grateful. we're so grateful to be on not just on any network comedy, but we're on a network that is known for workplace comedy that makes nothing but the hits to be on a show with a showrunner like Justice Fister and then Eric Legend, who not only is a great, you know, number two in the room, but also an amazing director. Like yeah. everybody knows I, I am not shy about saying he's my favorite director. I freaking love Eric. And also too, to be, to have other producers like Aaron Kaplan and Dana Honor, who also make nothing but the hits. I think we're so blessed to not just be on any show, but to be on this show with this cast and this crew. Yeah. And I think when you have people like that who care, it's evident how we show up yep. at work sharp, and how we show up writing. on screen. Yeah, sharp, exactly. Yeah, sharp, funny writing, great costumes, great hair, and um, and yeah, I think it's 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 part of a a, a DNA. I mean, NBA, NBC does this really really well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's yeah, it's a it's we're lucky. Yeah, and you all can right. catch everything on Peacock. By the way, you can see all of season one, yeah, all of season two on Peacock. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love Peacock. If people don't have Peacock, it's definitely awesome. Great movies, great shows. I love watching the pro wrestling documentaries. I'm a former pro wrestler, guys. So I always like to tune in yeah. to talk through that. In the, Amazing. Uh, on the WWE. And it has, a, it has access to the whole Universal Library, all the NBC workplace comedies. It's mm-hmm. five bucks. I know I sound like I'm pitching it, but it is a I, no, nice I, addition. I was to using the, it before yeah. I got the show. It's really, really good. It's, it's awesome. Well, I appreciate it, guys. Thanks again. Tune in Tuesday. At 8.30 p.m. Eastern on NBC. Take care, guys. Hi. You're listening and watching The Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Toss C3 Podcast. I'm excited to welcome the founder of Toss C3, Greg Hanna. Greg, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm doing amazing this week. How about you, Neil? I'm doing fantastic, and today's topic is the key differences between SIM and XDR. That's a great topic. I get this question a lot. You know, I do a lot of cybersecurity risk assessments and information security risk assessments, looking for vulnerabilities and problems. Um, I always find something regardless of where I go. So even though people feel they're 100%, it's really tough to be 100% these days. But SIM always comes up. It's like, I was at a firm the other day and they said, you know, we're all set. We don't need your managed detection and response service, our ZPS plus, because we have, we have a SIM. So I thought it might be a great idea to do a blog on a SIM and a little podcast on a SIM. Well, basically what a SIM does is it collects all the information from all the entry points 
in all the devices on a network. So for instance, it'll take all the information of the traffic and, and all the things happening on a firewall and, and bring it into the SIM. It'll take all the information about the computers and the servers you know, and the switches and, and the printer and all of that and bring it into the SIM. Then the SIM will correlate and look for patterns and problems and that type of thing. And if it finds something, it'll go ahead and prioritize it so that the security analysts can take some action on it. So it's a little bit slow because it's not really happening immediately. It's reviewing and then telling or showing, and then somebody has to do something. Well, XDR is extended detection and response. And so what that means is it has some SIM-like qualities. For instance, you can take in all that data and information, but it goes a couple of steps further. It uses artificial intelligence, behavioral analysis, and machine learning to actually take some proactive and preventative measures when it senses something going on, kind of like our ZPS, but on steroids, right? So like our ZPS would report into here, it would do its kill and quarantine, but the XDR would do some things on top of it. And there are things that you can set up autonomously. So in other words, automatically that happen using AI within supervision of a human uh, security analyst. So here's the best analogy I have. I haven't watched you know TV in a while where I actually see the commercials. Most people haven't. But the last time I saw a you know, TV commercial, it was kind of hilarious. It's, it's like bank robbers. And, and they, they go in the bank, they get the hoods on, they get the guns, and they get all this and that. And then all of a sudden, you start hearing, there's a robbery, robbery, robbery. And it's like, the, those are what the security guards are doing. And it's like, it's showing you that they're monitoring the environment, kind of like a sim. It's telling you what's going on. There's a robbery happening. Okay, here's the difference. Let's say they walked in, and then all of a sudden, they got attacked by like a SEAL team who just like, ripped them down, tied them up, killed them, didn't let them get the money, right? That's XDR. So that's kind of the difference. Oh, wow. And so that's that's crazy because it's going an extra step further in all that. And is technology going to continue to change where it's going to be more and more of those types of things to help in the process, what you, you're learning here at TOSC3, looking at the highest next level stuff? Because that's Yeah, exactly. Important. So, you know, We've talked a lot lately about ChatGPT, you know, ChatGPT3, all that stuff. And it's being implemented today in systems, right? So you can actually get an autonomous AI SIM, if you will, that I don't know if I'd go full XDR completely autonomously because that can be problematic as well. But you and I have talked before about the future of AI and cybersecurity. And here's one of the perfect use cases for it, right? Having an AI system be able to correlate and review and analyze and make some predictions up against literally millions and millions and millions of log entries that happened, you know, over a period of an hour, minute, or second, depending on the size of the organization. That's great. And the best place to go is tossc3.com today to schedule a free audit with Greg today to kind of look at your business, see what's specifically happening and how he can fix those holes by working with Greg. So I appreciate it, Greg. Thanks, Neil. Have a great one. All, right. All right. That was the Toss C3 podcast, guys. Take care. We're back to the Neil Haley Show, and I'm so excited to talk to this amazing woman. She's a spiritual teacher. She is a healer and an author, and much, much more Mirabai Davy. Mirabai, thanks for stopping by. I'm so excited to hear about your story and how you're helping so many people. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for inviting me on the show, Neil. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, so which one do you want me to answer first? No, let's just go because we're only going to get a couple of questions and we're going to have more than part one, part two. But tell us about how you kind of found your gift. How did that happen? Yeah, so how I found my gift was really when I was three years old and I was spiritual and I was talking to light beings and I was aware of the spiritual world and I was aware of a calling, a deep spiritual calling. And I knew that I had a purpose and a mission. And it took me a while to figure out why I'd come back into this world. Well, fast forward, I went back to sleep at seven years old, woke back up at 17 years old, became a vegetarian and looked into astral travel as why am I astral traveling every night and what is happening to me and what does this mean and why am I able to communicate with these angelic beings and then 
that's when my gifts started downloading from there. So define astro travel for me, for some people that might not know. Yes, yeah, so astral travel, and many of you may have experienced it, is when you find yourself floating above your body at night, whether you're awake or dreaming, and you're able to fly and travel into other worlds, planets, locations, realms, and you may or may not be aware of where they are, but typically you have a guide that's with you on that journey. So that's how it began for me when I woke up again for the second time at 17 years old. Once you figured that out, you said, well, what does this mean? Were you, were you questioning yourself at first when you knew you had this gift and were doing it at 17, astro traveling? Oh, absolutely, yes. I felt the peace which passeth all understanding. And I felt that I had a direct connection to the divine and to the light, but I couldn't figure out how I was able to come and go to these other planets and realms and it seemed like it was fairly normal for me but my mind was doubting and questioning like how come this isn't happening for other people how come nobody else is talking about this how come everybody else seems landlocked into their body and they don't want to talk about the spiritual worlds oh wow so that's that, that you're right they don't want to talk about they don't want to do things so what was your next phase because everyone's like oh you're that, that that's not real you can't, you, you're not able to do things like this. You're not able to find out information or figure out certain things. So you had to really kind of go out and find someone as people probably are listening and watching right now that could be in the same position you were in or, or questioning things that needs to talk to someone like you. Yeah, actually I'm an interdimensional guide and I am the teacher that I never had. So my goal was to become that teacher that I couldn't find to answer the questions that nobody could answer. So if you're out there and you're experiencing astral travel or you're experiencing floating above your body or you're seeing angels or light beings or you're having communication with the higher worlds or dimensions and nobody's able to talk with you about that or answer that for you, I am. And I'd love to talk with you about that. So reach out to me. So how are you able to help people based on what you do? So I'm able to help people based on what I do because I'm able to take where people are at and I'm able to take what I know through being connected at a higher level to these higher worlds, higher consciousnesses and higher light beings to lead them on the journey from A to Z because I've walked that path already. So I know what that path looks like. I know where they're going and I know what they need in order to walk that path and make that journey. So I can hold their hand and use all the many tools that I've been gifted to be able to teach them how to do it themselves. So other people can do what you do if you teach them. Other people can do what I do if I teach them and if they come into training with me of some kind. So it doesn't matter if you have the gift or don't have the gift, Mirabai? You know, that's a good question, Neil. I would say that anybody who awakens to any form of gift would be the best candidate for working with me, even if it's negative. Even if it's like, oh my gosh, I'm having nightmares and scary experiences, I can still help them with that. If they don't have a gift and they want to develop a gift, it takes more training and more work than if they naturally already have the gift awakened, but it still can be done. What are you able to discover with this gift? Like, tell me things that that kind of, I'm sure people need to see your live events or your other types of events. What types of things are you able to do once you have this gift? Oh, so many things, Neil. So in my programs, I offer light transmissions. I offer communication with light beings and traveling into higher realms and dimensions. I offer intuitive readings for people to see the cause of their pain or illness or condition or problem or conflict. I help them to heal their heart, to heal their body physically from pain and suffering and illness. I help people work through emotional issues. And then I help people to really connect with their own gifts and their life purpose and their own unique path. So there are so many different aspects 
to somebody's awakening to their spiritual awakening or their healing process that it just it, it runs all the way full gamut from A through Z. So we have to start somewhere, right? And we start with just, I go into a state of consciousness and they ask me questions. And I'm able to answer those questions that maybe nobody else has ever been able to answer for them in their whole entire lives. And then I'm able to see things that nobody else can see for them and give them the answers through what I see by putting vision on the levels that most people cannot access because they're not available even to psychics or spiritual teachers unless they go to the highest spiritual realm or worlds. What makes you different between a, than a psychic or astrologist in certain ways? Yeah. Mm -hmm. A psychic typically is somebody who can go into the astral planes. A spiritual teacher is someone who can go into the higher astral and causal planes the higher astral and causal planes are areas where there are very, very powerful beings of light that can speed up your evolution, that can help you manifest, that can clear karma, that can break negative patterns and cycles. Whereas the psychic is more someone who can read into your future or read on the astral what bad things are going to happen to you, what good things are going to happen to you, and what you need to do or work on. It's a totally, it's like taking an elevator to the fourth or fifth floor instead of taking an elevator to the penthouse. So you're able to, you're able to stop things that could have happened to you with what your gift is. Meaning yes. like, where an astrologist will kind of predict what's going to, not predict, but say, hey, this is potentially going to happen to you. You're able to spot that and come up with measures to not make sure that, that there's a different direction in your life compared to... An astrologist would say, watch out. This is going to be really, really bad. I know this is going to be bad, but I can take you around that or, or discover something new, which will be much better possibility for yourself because you're going to see how we're created in energy. And that energy is going to give us the ability to control things much more than what an astrologist says is it's bad news. You say, okay, this could happen this way. But if you can really control your mind and develop the gifts that I have, you're going to end up with the result that you want. Is that correct? So, so similar to what you're saying, just a little bit different. An astrologer will say, this is what's going to happen to you. And I can mitigate it by you wearing these, this and this gemstone or doing this and this yagya, which is like a, a puja or a ceremony to mitigate it. What I would do is actually show them what's coming and how to choose a different timeline, take a different course and mitigate the karma that's cause and effect causing them to create that and actually clear that karma, that negative karma, so that they don't create that or at least lessen it in a way that they can sail through it. It may not be pretty, but it's not going to be life or death. Okay, so what's really cool about this is this information is going to finally be out there by us doing a weekly uh, segment on my show and then all the different things, social media. What people can go and learn about you right now and find out all the amazing things you do. I know testimonials are there. I'll sign up for your newsletter, all these different things. Where's the best place they can go? So they can go to a power of love, a power of love.com forward slash go to sign up on the newsletter and receive a free gift. My websites are apowerofloveve.com and mirabydavy.org. Search through those, get all the information. There's so many wonderful free practices, teachings, and uh, all kinds of techniques and offerings. So people can immerse themselves in study before they even get to meet me. They have practical tools. All right, Mirabai, we really appreciate it. Great information. And I'm learning so much. I cannot wait to next week to really dive deeper. Thanks again for coming by. Thank you so much, Neil. This is very, very exciting. You're welcome. You're listening and watching the Neil Haley show. And we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to Neil Haley show. And one topic that everyone talks about in education today is STEM. And my guest today helps school districts and or other organizations incorporate STEM into their lessons. I'm excited to welcome the program, Dr. Christopher Goldberg. Dr. Chris Goldberg, how are you, Dr. Chris? Thanks for stopping by, man. Great to be here, Neil. Great to be here. All right, so let's define people what STEM is, first of all, 
in a way and just talk about the, what STEM is and what STEM should be? I mean, a lot of people think STEM is science, technology, engineering, and math, but it's it's really much more. It's the integration of all subjects. So it's it, it includes social studies. You know, you know that you don't hear social studies and when you hear about STEM, but but every subject, it's really how to integrate problem solving, design, technology, uh, computer science with all any subject or all subjects. Uh, within a school curriculum so it, it's so much more than just those you know those four letters and sometimes you have steam which is art as well which is a big part of so STEM. you basically <laughs> got to integrate in let's say a social studies lesson science technology energy and math in every lesson so you don't just look at okay we want to make sure that stems in is integrated into the sciences and that's what you're hearing more than ever they're not looking at it how will we integrate this into a language arts lesson or stuff? This is the problem, right? You're, you're hearing it's just basically about math and science are working together and no one else is putting teaching math and science and other subjects. Oh, it, it's in, it's in, it, it, I, actually literacy language arts is a huge part of STEM because you can use the, the design process or you can use the technology and help reinforce learning in a, and in, in a language arts class. So it is in every subject. And the key thing is, you know, and I taught STEM in a classroom or in a maker space, but it wasn't STEM class. It was all classes in a STEM classroom setting. And that's where we need to be going. And that's, you know, what the push is all around the country that it connects all learning. Oh, yeah, it definitely connects all the learning. Let's go dive deeper into what you mean by specifically, let's look at science. How do we integrate science in all the subjects? No, because science, it, it's not just an experiment. Science is a way of thinking, a problem solving thinking. Uh, you know, maybe you make a hypothesis and then you're going to do an experiment or a test or some kind of protocol maybe that you build and then you'll you'll brainstorm it you'll test it out. And then once you determine whether you've solved the problem, you can then discuss ways to improve upon it. You can discuss how you can make it better. You can go through this entire design process in the science realm of it, but while working on skills, presentation skills, writing skills, and of course, there's always math and science. So you're bringing in so many areas of all subjects in a science lesson that includes many other areas of the curriculum. And that that's what we're always trying to do. That's fabulous. And that, and that's integrating those things and looking at science, you need an expert to really look at all what is science, what, how to break down science, what, what, what is, what are the means to the word science? So let's go into, uh, you know, STEM and go into technology. Technology is a gigantic thing that is not integrated in all subjects in education K through 12. It really isn't, is it? No, I mean, it's difficult because a lot of people think you have to have all this money to get all this high level technology, whether it be computers or presentation areas or robots and you know, robotics and technology spans, uh, especially in the STEM world, we say high tech, low tech, no tech. You don't need to have high, high, high level, lots of money, you know, investment in in equipment to be using technology. I mean, a piece of uh, a whole a, a cardboard box can is is a piece of technology. You don't have to even pay for it. You can go get it at the recycling bin or you can when you when you get your Amazon, um, you know, uh, it, comes into your house it seems to come into the house every day i don't boy oh boy um you can take that that uh, those pieces of cardboard and build something with other recyclables that you haven't spent any money on and make an entire prototype of something that you're using in in the classroom and and it's very important that I think all educators understand that there are all different levels of technology and technology is just a piece of something that helps you create something, build something, design something, or achieve some task. So it doesn't need to have a big money amount attached to it. 
And defining technology, what is the definition of technology? I think it's always great to put that out there because some people think of technology in a different way than what the definition is. Ooh, got to get the cat out of here. Boy, wants to get involved. <laughs> it, it really is a technology. When you go and see a definition, it's just a piece of equipment that helps you solve or you know achieve some kind of task especially in the education world so it can be um and anything you know if i just pick up you know a piece of scotch tape because i need to fasten something together or you know a piece of velcro you know because i have a special ed background it was the first thing we talked about when we talked about something that will help a task you use velcro and special ed all the time because you have so many students that may have a, a disability where they need to have something attached. That's a piece of technology and an assistive technology. And then that type of mindset allows the educator to help students achieve tasks without having to worry about, I have to spend all this money or I have to have this room of all these computers and all these devices. So that's really important. No, it definitely is. And uh, so that's a great definition of going into technology. Now, engineering. Oh, come on now. We, I mean, I taught for so many years. How many people are implementing in lessons engineering now? It, it's really not so difficult. There's a simple thing called the engineering design process or the design process where you put students or individuals in a group, you have a challenge or a task, hopefully it evolves to the students actually making it a student-centered task where they want to solve a problem and they ask the questions and they're much more invested, but you may not be able to start out that way, but you may actually, because you've just asked them, what's, what do you think that you need to solve that you want to work on right now? And then they brainstorm, they put the ideas together. Maybe you draw out something, you write out something, everyone's working together. It should always have at least two in a group. Um, three, four, five, maybe. And then they design something, build something, test it out. That design process can be done pre-K all the way up to any age. You know, I've, I've done it from pre-K to uh, folks in their 70s and 80s. And, you know, again, you don't need any money for it. You don't have to even write a grant for it. it it's the thinking process. So it's it's so valuable and it can be used in almost any setting. No, I, th I this is this is this is really interesting. And I think that this is what you bring to the table that's amazing is you take STEM and make it simple and break it down easy for teachers. And that's so important because when I taught lessons and they had to incorporate certain things, it's like, I don't have the time. I don't know what to do or how to do this. Having someone like you coming in and really giving it hands-on is important. And then my favorite part is mathematics. We do not use math in every you know how many people struggle with math each and every day. They just struggle with it. It's 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 awful. How many people are math illiterate? Wouldn't you agree? They think. I think the thinking is they think they're math illiterate because they may have struggled in a math class with large computations. But if you can break down some of the steps and show them how math can be made to be more fun because it can help you solve problems and help you design a lot more easily uh, you can change the perception you know there's so there's been this perception i just heard my wife saying it the other day i was terrible in math i i'm sure she was not terrible in math but the uh the way that we use math and the, and the option the and the abilities to make math help you succeed are there and that's what teachers need to tap into and then students will say oh Okay, I, I did this calculation or I did this design and added this up and measured this and it, and it really worked. And I was able to do when they see in the real world that math can work. It, it's, it's probably when you get those problems, you're like, why am I learning this? You you shut down a little bit, whether it's a you know, whatever gender it is that can happen. But when you see in the real world, and that's what the research shows, especially that you've used math to solve a problem that you you feel like has value to you, then you have, you have a different perception. It, it's a goal. Oh my gosh. It's a, it's a, an amazing thing when people finally say the light bulb 
The math is very important, just like reading is important. And so when you're seeing, what are you seeing in schools right now to finish up? They're not in, integrating it in all subjects. That's what's happening in your experience. Well, it, it It's happening in some places, not happening in other places. It's, um, that's what we're pushing really hard. I, I just got off a webinar, computer science for K to five, which was all around the country. There were educators, a couple hundred educators from, from pretty much every state. And, and the idea again is to, and it just was more focused on computer science, but how can we use computer science in all subjects? That was exactly what the topic was because computer science itself is not a subject. And math itself really isn't a subject. It involves so many other things. Science isn't just a subject. And you know that's really the whole idea of STEM, that we are working together to solve a problem and using every possible subject. And it's happening some places. Some people are doing it and don't realize they're doing it and maybe don't think they are. And students don't know they are. So we need to make sure we're always reminding them that, look, you're doing, you're using this, 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 and all these different subjects. And then so they, they don't just think I'm just doing math. I don't like math. So I'm going to shut down. No, you're, you're reading, first of all, when you're in math class right off the bat. And then when you can make it somewhat of a real world where they can see the value, um, they really light up so much more. So that, that's the goal. All right. And the best place people can find you is go where? ChrisGoldbergBooks.com uh, would, would be the easiest place to, to reach me. Uh, and I'll have, uh, you know, or uh, email. It's uh, stemsationalps at gmail.com. Uh, that's the two easiest ways to get me. All right. Okay, you're listening and watching The Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Strategic Wealth Strategies Podcast with our host, Alan Porter. Alan, what's going on, man? How are you? How are you doing, boy? It's a beautiful day out here in North Carolina. I want to go play golf so bad I can taste it. It's gorgeous in Texas, too. It's this time of year, right? Yes, it is. It's beautiful. Backyard is beautiful. The pool is great. The putting green looks great. Everything looks great out here. Excellent. But, uh, today, I want to bring up something. I, I first started when I first started with you, Neil, on these podcasts. And this is something that concerns 300 million Americans, and that's debt. And 83% of all Americans are in debt at some point. And what they're doing is they're paying compound interest to the financial institutions and not themselves. And it's it's when people find out about what they're doing, what the banks are doing, it's, it's criminal. But what I want to show you is what basically the average American is doing to themselves, paying compound interest to the financial institutions. So i got a short PowerPoint. I call, let me get to the beginning. All right. I call this my debt free for life. And my debt free for life is I learned about this through the Smart Advisor Program. There's about 60 of us mm -hmm. in the United States mm -hmm. that do this. There's probably 60 of us that know what effective interest costs was. Because uh, you've never heard of inter effective interest costs, have you, until you talk never. to me? No. Well, don't feel lonely because 90, I would say 99% of all people, to include CPAs, financial advisors, and, and uh, attorneys, have no idea either. That's the ones I've talked to anyway. But what I want to do is I want to show people how to get out of debt. It's a modified version of Dave Ramsey's snowball effect, uh, and I'll explain that here in a minute. But I want people to just think about this. Imagine how different your future would be if you could be completely debt-free for the rest of your life. Think of the things you could possibly accomplish. I mean, take a trip, fund your grandkids' colleges, uh, buy a new house. You go back in debt, but I'll show you different ways to do that and get you out of debt sooner. But just think about what it'd be like to be completely debt-free. You know, the people that are in debt are on the wrong side of compound interest. And like Einstein said, compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. Those who understand it will benefit from it, and those who don't are going to pay it. Well, guess what? 99% of people in the United States are paying it. So they're on the wrong side of compound interest. Now, I want you to look at these statistics. Now, I, I think these are even outdated for about a couple months ago. Personal debt in America is over 16, $17 trillion now. Oh, my gosh. People have taken out over 60, I think $67 billion in credit card debt since the first of the year. That's amazing. 
82% of Americans have some form of debt that is hurting their future. Actually, it's 84. The amount of personal debt has increased 13% over the past year due to rising inflation. Well, guess what? You know, gasoline prices are started back up. And it's going to get much, much worse before it gets better. Because they've got to fill petroleum reserve up at three times the cost of what, what they filled it up before because Biden got rid of all of it. And Saudi Arabia and everybody else are cutting production. So they're looking at that gas prices going over $100 a barrel. And with everything else that's going on, our massive inflation, uh, the the war, you know, we're, we're closer to war now than we've been in a long, long time. The stock market crash. And I've had pundits tell me that this is just the beginning. It's going to be very, very bad in the future. And we did a podcast here not too long ago. I, I call it the uh, stock stock market desert, where it takes years to recover, like uh, Japan. It's taken them over 33 years to recover, and they still haven't recovered. China has been it for 15 years. And we had the lost decade of the 2000s. If you put $100,000 into a stock portfolio, in 2000, in about 2010, it was worth $96,000. And that's that's not even, uh, that's not, not, no, that's not net of fees. That doesn't include fees. So, I mean, it's, it's terrible what's happening right now in America. But here's something that really scares people, especially women, because 63% of all debt belongs to women. And one of the reasons is women live longer than men. And monthly savings has fallen by 83% in 2022. Now, how, how can people fund their retirement if their savings are, or they don't even do any savings anymore? And many of the people I talk to, they just live paycheck to paycheck. And half of them can't decide whether to put gas in their car or food on the table. By itself, how much money of your net income do you actually get to keep? Well, look at this. You get a gross income check of $7,500. Now you have federal taxes, state taxes, health insurance, and possibly a 401k. So you get to keep $4,000. That's your net income. And that's what pays for your lifestyle, your rent, your mortgage, your living expenses, etc. But here's something. This is put out by the Bureau of Labor Statistics, this graph right here. And I go over here and I look at this 40%. And I said, 40% of all the income you make before and after retirement is going to go to taxes. And I have people tell me all the time, Alan, I'm not in the 40% tax bracket. Well, I understand that. But understand this. We have taxes on everything. You have a tax on a pack of chewing gum, tax on gasoline, tax on property. We pay over 52 different types of taxes. People are not aware of this. And this is a, a study, I mean, a, a report by the Congressional Budget Office that by the year 2030, if we don't raise taxes overall by 66%, we're not even going to be paid pay the interest off on the debt, which is $31 trillion right now and climbing. And that means the company country will go bankrupt. So that, they can't let that happen. So what they're doing, they're printing more money, causing inflation, and making our dollar worth less. But then you have 25%, like I said, goes to your lifestyle. But here's the thing. We have 25% goes to pay off debt. And I want you to understand, something that goes to taxes, that money is gone. It's lost forever. It's never going to compound for you. It works for the government, but not for you. And it's just like this, this 25% debt. You're paying compound interest to the financial institutions and not for yourself. It'll never compound for you again. It's like taxes. That money is gone, but it's going to compound for those financial institutions. So basically, that, that saves about 10% of people if they can contribute to a 401k or anything. And that's what the vast majority of financial planners, they want to look at that 10% and see, well, I can make a higher return on that. I can, I can diversify your portfolio. We time the market or whatever. Well, that's not what I do. What I want to do is I want to save money and take money out of the debt, take money out of the taxes, and now I have a much larger pie to work with to secure your, your financial future. But we all like nice things. You know, uh, we may not have the greatest car we want or the, the items we want or the mortgage, so we, what do we do? Take out a car loan, put stuff on a credit card, or we take out a mortgage. But here's Megan, or Max and Megan's story. They had too much debt. Their money, money is compounded for the banks and not for themselves. They like nice things, but they don't have the money to pay cash for those. So that what they do is go deeper in debt, just like most Americans. Very few Americans pay. We're an instant gratification society, and we want the nice things, and we want them now. So what we do, we, we go in debt to get them. This is their debt report. Now, I want you to look at this. 
They got about $208,000. That's $154,000 mortgage. They got a 4.2% interest rate on their mortgage. And as I said, I told them, I mean, this $208,000, that's not your problem. This is your problem right here. The effective interest cost, the effective interest cost on that mortgage, that 4.2% interest, I mean, uh, APR and mortgage is 55%. And all they've got pretty good credit. Their average effective interest cost is 35.76%. So yeah, I asked people, I said, what financial vehicle are you getting that's giving you a 35 to 36% rate of return? Well, absolutely nothing. I said, well, let's get rid of your debt. Stop paying your, for your 401k and get rid of your debt first and then start putting money in the 401k and you can possibly put a lot more or get a tax-free retirement plan that I, I can develop for you. So let's look, look at the cost of a, a effective interest cost of a mortgage. A 30-year mortgage at $100,000 at 4%. What's the effective interest cost? Well, I'll tell you what, I'll promise you, it's not 4%. That payment that is 41.81%. And there's calculations over here. The break-even point, see, people don't understand this. The break-even point, the month of your 4% effective interest cost happens in the year 349 out of 360 year uh, month, excuse me, a 360 month mortgage. And that's what people don't understand. And when I show them the numbers, they said, oh my God, I didn't have, I had no idea that was going on. Well, that's how banks make money. You don't think the banks are going to tell you. Your effective interest cost is 41.81%. That means that 42% of every dollar is paid as a minimum payment is going to principal and not interest. And it's compounded for the financial institutions and not yourself. And like I said before, that money is gone forever. So given the choice, would you rather stay in debt for another 15 to 20 years or be debt-free forever? I ask this to people all the time. Debt-free forever. You, what's that? Debt-free forever. You betcha. What would, you, what would your financial future look like if you get out of debt and stay out of debt forever? It's like that first question I ask everybody. What would your future look like if you could be debt-free? Think of the things you could possibly do. Let's go back to Megan, Max and Megan's debt report. They're paying 35.76 effective interest rate. They had no idea, and nobody else does either, unless they're educated on the effective interest cost. But watch what happened when they took the smart way out. They committed to a debt-free-for-life action plan. They began compounding money for their benefit, totally eliminated $208,000 of debt. Their problem went away in four years with my plan. But guess what? We're not done with that because they did pay their debt off in four years, but they also had over $118,000 in a tax-free bucket that they can use any way they want to. Plus a, a death benefit that's probably $500,000 that they can use for tax-free for long-term care or a, a, a tax-free money for the beneficiaries if they pass away. So is this something that people are looking for? I hope so, because it helps so many people. 19 years more of debt or being 100% debt-free in four years. Now, this was just a short PowerPoint presentation, but I hope that I brought home the point of how effective, uh, when you realize the effective interest costs that you're paying, there's things that can be done to do that. Now, Dave Ramsey's snowball effect, it works fine. Uh, and this is just a form of it, but what we do Instead of paying the financial institutions compound interest, we set up what we call SDIC, a specially designed insurance contract, and pay that extra money to our life insurance policy to pay off these debts. It's a software program that we have at Smart Advisor, and we show people how to do this. I mean, it, it's, we do it for year, and we're on, we're on movement to do this, Neil. This is a national cause for us. We're very passionate about what we do. I'm passionate about what I do all the time with my clients because of the, the things that affect my family. But this is very, very important. I, I wanted to bring it up again. I shortened it up a little bit, but I hope people take take heed to this. And if they've got debt, call me or call a smart advisor. But as you know, as as always, you can always get a hold of me. My number is 910-551-1046, or my email is strategic well, the number zero at gmail.com. I know it's, I've brought this up before, but it needs to be brought up all the time. It's so powerful to finish up because you could be debt-free. That's going to change everything. And the difference in Dave Ramsey's method is you're broke after you're paid everything off and you don't have anything to, to keep. You pay cash on, for a cheap car, 
you look at things in a way of paying things off, but yet still having a lifestyle to spend money too, because you have money to spend on things. Because what's awesome about your plan is you're become your own banker. That's the difference. You put yeah. money in the stock market, that money just stays and you can't pull it out. With doing your plan, you can pull out the money when you need right. it. I mean, you can pull out the stock market, but you may pull it out as a loss, or you may pull it out too soon and lose a big gain, or you know, save yourself from a catastrophic loss that I think is coming up. Exactly, you're protecting, yet also earning at the same time, and having someone, an expert like you, to help them through the process. So again, everyone needs to call nine one zero five five one ten forty six or strategic email at strategic wealth the number zero at gmail dot com. Appreciate it, Alan. You bet. Thank you very much. All right. That was the Strategic Wealth Strategies Podcast, guys. Take care. We're back to the Neil Haley Show and here, and also the Caregiver Dave Celebrity Segment. I'm excited to welcome the program. Caregiver Dave Nassani. Dave, how are you, man? What's going on? I'm doing awesome. Having a great time. Waiting oh, yeah. For You're having a great time on. in life, right? Amen. Yeah. Oh, that's great. And my guest today is going to talk about Sons to the Grave, the feature film by Canadian production company Have Faith Productions. And I'm excited to welcome Lynn Stoltz to the program. Lynn, thanks for stopping by. How are you? I am fine. Thank you so much, Neil. Thanks for having me. And this exciting Apple TV. How did this all start, Lynn? Yeah, it's, uh, it started a long time ago. And uh, Apple TV just recently, I think maybe three weeks now, I'm not sure, not, not much more, uh, acquired this. So we're very excited because Canadians can and see the movie now uh, very easily. It seems like everyone has Apple TV, so we're very excited about it. All right, so tell me. I actually didn't know about it. Yeah, so tell us how did the film start? Explain the whole, how it worked. How did, oh, how, yeah. Well, it started a long time ago, uh, and the reason it was inspired by uh, actual events is because there was a, a shooting of a young man here in Toronto. And we thought, and we talked to his mother, and we um, we thought about doing the film on that. And then after walking through the, the part of the city, the neighborhood, and different neighborhoods like that, we, I, I just decided that there could be more of a more of a purpose, more of a wide range if we told what was what actually happened, not just to him, but what happens to these young men, mostly young men, young women too, but mostly young men in at-risk neighborhoods. And I think, you know, we thought it's very easy for all of us, and I'm including myself. Um, so these things happen. They should have made better choices because we do delve into the choices here. We don't say they were wrong and many of them were. We, we give understanding to the decisions made. And I think that's what we set out to do. And I hope that's what we did do. It's very easy if you don't live in those neighborhoods or uh, even adjacent neighborhoods to think, you know, that would never happen to me or I'd never make that decision. We don't know that, you know, and that was made very clear to me when I, when I researched it before I wrote it. So we decided to go for it and see what we could do. Go ahead, Dave, with your question. So I assume uh, your films are about faith, uh, faith-based films, yes? Uh, you know, you know I, I'm always asked that now, and um, my my fault, I guess, in a way, I didn't set out to make faith-based films, but faith is a very large part of who I am. It, uh, I feel that I get through everything because of my faith. Um, and I started this company when I lost my husband. And it was very sudden. And uh, he always wanted this movie done, along with a couple of others, with the, uh, books that I've written. And I decided at the time I would name our company Have Safe Productions because that's really, that's really what I needed at the time. And it's just stuck, and we, we're keeping it. You know? okay. So we did this. And we do, we do others where faith is always involved because that's, that's who I am. But it's not just faith-based, uh, purposely faith-based. So the society today um, aren't too keen on faith. How are, they, how are you getting a response from, you know, 
the media and all the places that you deal with? Are they open toward this? We're getting, honestly, there are absolutely nothing, nothing coming back, pushing back on us for that. Oh, good. This really had nothing to do with faith as in faith is good. The mother in the movie had faith. That's how she got through the, the her son being killed. But mm-hmm. it really was not about faith. It's there. It sneaks in. It sneaks its way in. <laughs> but it's not about faith. It's about the choices that are left to these young man, men. And when they make them, because they're young, they're immature in many ways, and often get into situations where it's not as easy to say, I'm out. And that's what happened to the Sarah Jackson, who played the role of uh, uh, Jennings boy who got killed. And that's what we wanted to say that we are, we should care. We started saying we are a brother's keeper. We do no matter what side of the bridge, and we use a bridge rather than railroad tracks, which is sometimes used because on one side of the bridge was the rich and famous, and the other side was a, a a very at-risk neighborhood, but that doesn't make them people from that neighborhood not worth caring about. And we tend to, to dismiss those problems. In, in our city today, we tend to dismiss them or not care as much about those neighborhoods. We are doing a series. It, the, the movie has brought out a, a series called Husband, which is the name of the neighborhood in the, in the film. So we're very, very excited about it. Someone must have liked it out there, I guess. (laughs) That's great. So let's talk about this basketball player again. So the basketball player is the main character that was going to be close to the NBA and then gets shot down. So it's really a lesson learned for kids out there that are on their way to triumph and probably can make it professionally, not to make the wrong choices. And and it's true. And I don't want to, I, I, I will say what we wanted to to hopefully bring out because I'm certainly not one to judge or one to have an answer for any of these problems other than I'm a human being and I care about other human beings. And I see these young men and if we, the young man in our story played so amazingly by Trevor Jackson, unbelievable. Um, he made decisions. He came from a, came from another neighborhood, a middle-class neighborhood to this neighborhood because the school was attracting uh, coaches and scouts, I should say, from the NBA. So he wanted to be, and, and rightfully so, where those coaches came. And he mixed up with people in the in the neighborhood, some of the wrong people that he just didn't have, because he was a kind of a hot shot kind of kid. He was good at what he did. He knew that. It was well-documented. He was sort of like a semi-celebrity, if you want to put it that way, in a very small uh, pond. And when his chance came to, to go to college and go to the NBA, I, you know, when you decide to say to the people that you have been hanging with, uh, I'm out and I can't be a part of anything anymore, I'm, I'm done. It's not that easy to do, especially for the person controlling that other group. Because if you, if he doesn't have fear or terror, which a lot of these people uh, put on other people, if he doesn't have any game that way, he's lost his power. So it's, it's, it's really about everybody's fears. Justin's fears are these, who was the, the shooter in the movie, his fear, not that he was right or, or made any of the right decisions, but again, we tried to give understanding as for why and what, what can we do about that with the younger kids little kids and that's where our coach came in played by greg allen williams so so well making the point that you know we've got to start very young and these neighbors have proved that there is something else they can do besides join or hang out with the wrong people make it less enticing i guess is the word mm. but we, we tried to, to and it was actually danny brother that said you know you tried to give understanding to all parts not not blaming, not uh, you know trying to say that they had a good reason. They didn't have a good reason, but they had a reason. And how did they get to that? And we tried to we tried to do that. Very good. Well, Dave has an interesting story as well, Sasha. I mean, I'm sorry, uh, Lynn. Uh, go ahead with the story. So I've been uh, married 48 years to my beautiful wife, but uh, halfway through, she had a 
stroke, lost her speech, became paralyzed on one side for no reason. And um, we almost broke up. There was the grief period and she was angry and bitter. And, you know, I was the only one to receive all of that anger. But uh, I I went to a support group and it learned that I had to take care of me first, put my oxygen mask on first. So I started doing that and she started responding, slowly becoming her old self again. Our love was rekindled. And now I, I'm Dave, the caregiver's caregiver. I realize there's so many other caregivers out there who are going through the same stuff. And I wanted to teach them uh, not to make the same mistakes I made. So I've written four books. I've appeared on 50 TV shows, uh, morning uh, programs on network TV. I've spoken on stages all across the country, Harvard, NASDAQ, uh, Carnegie Hall. And I'm, I'm, now I'm doing uh, caregiver wellness retreats in Acapulco to try to get caregivers to get away and, and you know, get a vacation and because 30% of them actually die before their loved ones do. And I believe that um, all caregivers, uh, everyone is going to eventually become a caregiver or need a caregiver. There's no escaping it. Has, yeah. care, has caregiving touched your life? Uh, Lynn. Mm-hmm. Lynn. Oh, yeah. It's uh, not well. It did when I lost my husband. Yes. It's, yeah, you were his caregiver. I'm assuming before he passed away. Go through, but you have to go through it. You can't. You can't not. Yeah. So, but it's a difficult, very personal thing, and I really don't talk about that part of it. But mm-hmm. uh, we we set out to do this movie in his honor because he wanted it done. And we did, and it was not an easy, an easy as no movie really. If you're doing an independent film, it's not easy to get done. But mm-hmm. we're just blessed that people have uh, have watched it and attached to certain characters, even if they were bad characters, just to they attached to them and why they did what they did, and especially right. uh, the mother. They, um, it really has the reaction. The reaction has been amazing to us, and we are truly blessed. And I'll humbled by it, to tell you the truth. Well, you know, Lynn, there's no better time to do an independent film than right now. Uh, many independent films have gotten the recognition of uh, from the Academy. So uh, I think I think it's going to be a good thing. I really hope so. I really hope that people take it. I mean, it's our first one. We did it. We did it all from the ground. We did it. And the series um, will kind of take on from there. That's why we use the name Hudson which uh, it will be uh, starting soon. We're, we're really excited about it. And it will bring every day, every week, every episode will bring parts of what we're trying to do. And hopefully the part where everyone is, is saying, you know, we've got to look after the shortfall neighborhoods. We can't dismiss them. We can't think that it doesn't affect us, which I think we all know now it does. We have to care. We have to put in programs in those neighborhoods that, you know, I used to say, how come, you know, people aren't always with their kids Well, they have two or three dogs because they have to support their kids. Those kids need somewhere to go. And uh, I hope that these, these series, it could be an eight-part series, uh, I hope that that's what it portrays. The movie certainly does. All right. Well, this is fantastic stuff. Best place people can find the movies, Apple TV, but anywhere else? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's on Amazon Prime. Roku, Tubi, and some others, but those are the main ones. All right. Well, we appreciate it. Thanks again, Lynn. Appreciate it. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. You're listening and watching the Neil Haley Show on the Caregiver Dave Celebrity segment, and we'll be back in just a moment. 